Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible handy, there is one at the end of most of the pews or should be. And we're going to continue our series walking through what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, one really of the most uh, well-known uh, messages of, of Jesus and filled with wonderful truth for each one of our lives to be blessed by it. Also very challenging and convicting for us to encounter. And as you turn there, I'll remind you again, as we've mentioned the last couple of weeks, as we've been getting started on this part of Scripture, that there's really uh, you know four or five things I think that the Lord wants uh, to do in our lives through this message Uh, One certainly is to kind of hold up a mirror before us or uh, maybe give us a diagnosis, if you will, of our condition so we can be aware of our need for the gospel in areas where we need to grow. We're definitely going to see that all the way through Uh, the the scriptures also in the Sermon on the Mount. Give us something to aim for. Give us a goal, a sort of personal best, if you will, to to pursue. It lays out the ideal for kingdom living. So it gives us something to, to point towards. In so doing, it's interesting, though. At nearly every turn in the Sermon on the Mount, it, it entices us. It, it woos us towards that end, uh, much less than driving us towards it. Uh, there's certainly a place for duty and obedience and obligation for us, but the Sermon on the Mount is always reminding us that Jesus wants us to pursue these things for our own good. It's in our best interest and to find our delight in in him, that we do that by walking in this path he outlays. Uh, beyond that, it, it allows us to really just point to Jesus. So first of all, to, to his exquisite, his wonderful, his beautiful words for each one of us. And, of course, his person and ultimately to the fact that he alone perfectly fulfills this Sermon on the Mount. None of us, none of us do. We're going to talk about being salt and light today. And one of the first things we're going to feel is the reality. Well, I'm not really being all that salty and I'm not really all that bright. And the Lord reminds us throughout the scriptures that Jesus is the one who ultimately fulfills that. He's the one that by his substitutionary death and atonement offers himself on our behalf that we can receive the free gift of who he is. And then he, on top of that, gives us the power to begin to live in this new way. So ultimately we see Jesus here. And in all of this, we, uh, we touched on it the last couple of weeks, but we really didn't explain it. And I think we need to pause here. We're talk- what we're talking about is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as the scriptures describe it. And I, I realized this week as I was preparing, we probably should slow down and define that. Because you say kingdom of God, and, and I don't know what definition you know, you might have in your, your mind, or, or maybe you haven't thought about that idea of the kingdom of God in a while, but, you know, what, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, biblically, isn't some, you know, particular location on planet Earth right now. It's also not limited to any particular time or place. The, the kingdom of God is really God's rule and blessing, working its way out in his people uh, for his ultimate purposes and glory. That's what the kingdom of God is. So it extends all the way back through history and every place and time where God has touched lives and brought his rule and reign to bear and his love and grace. And it extends right up to today in in every part of the world. And and it extends on to the future. It's not just some place where we're going to go when we die or when Jesus returns. It's not just out there. It's here. It's right now. And it's going on forward. 
that make some sense? So the, the kingdom of God is an incredible reality, and it, and it may be that we've, we've got our default setting for the kingdom of God is a little too limited. We either think of it as just out there, or we think of it as just sort of a certain way to live now. It's all of that. It encapsulates all of it. And we're certainly going to see that today as we look at these verses, verse 13 through 16, which call us to begin to, to seek to spread that kingdom reality. And I invite you all to stand with me in recognition of the truth and the power and the beauty of God's word of these exquisite words of Jesus. I'll read it aloud as you read along silently. It says here, beginning in verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be? Shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You may be seated, and as you do, let me pray again. Oh, Father, we ask now that you would uh, direct us in our time in your word. We know that uh, all of us are like grass. All our glory is like the flower of the fields. The grass withers, the flower fades, but not your word, Lord. It stands forever. So we pray that you would teach us by and equip us. Delight to know more today about what it will look like for you to work in our lives and enable us to be salt and light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you look in the uh, back section of your worship guide, if you're sort of a note taker person, there's a sermon notes section. I want to start off this week actually with the main idea that you'll find stated there. It says simply that because Jesus graciously uses us, uses you and me to build his kingdom We must retain our saltiness and shine our light, retain our saltiness and shine our light. Part of God's grace is that he works in our lives to use us to be part of building his kingdom. That gives us tremendous purpose in our lives. He graciously does so. And we already kind of saw this in recent weeks with the what's called the Beatitudes, the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at. We saw that initially the, the Beatitudes call us to recognize our weakness, our brokenness, our need. We're to be those who recognize we're poor in spirit, to mourn over our brokenness and that in the world around us. We're to, to recognize that meekness is actually the way of the kingdom. And then we saw as well that there's this, this sort of pivot verse, you know, plant your foot and pivot where Jesus says, hey, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. So you, you see this bleak picture, see where you are, see where the world is. But, hey, hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're not going to be let down. And then he goes on to talk about really beginning the idea of how we live our lives out for the kingdom of God. Being merciful, it says, being peacemakers, even being persecuted, even when something's happening to us because of our faith. We can handle that in such a way that it actually shows something 
to the world around us. So this idea of being salt and light, in a sense, really flows out of what we see, have seen in the Beatitudes the last few weeks. But it also flows directly against so much of what we see and experience in the world around us, doesn't it? It's a little bit like, if you can imagine this situation for yourself, uh, waking up one morning and going on whatever your normal route is to your normal, maybe one of your normal daily activities. Maybe it's going to your workout place. Maybe it's taking the kids to school. Maybe it's going to your place of employment, whatever it is. And, And let's say that area is kind of in a downtown spot and they've got one way roads. Right, you get on some of those streets and you get on the one-way roads. Well, well, you, well, you do this every day. You know the route. You, it's, it's a routine. You, you go there and you know the way to go. All of a sudden, though, on this particular day, as you get to that first one-way street and turn on it just like you normally do, all of a sudden coming head at you is a bunch of traffic. Coming straight towards you and you're, you're befuddled. You're like, oh, did I, maybe I, did I make a mistake there somewhere? And so you, you, you cut through a little side alley, get off that road quick before you, you wreck into somebody. And, and then you get over to the, the, the next turn that you would have made on the next one-way street that you normally head on. And it's the same thing. Cars coming at you. And, and, and all of a sudden you look up and you realize that, that some, you know, some jokester, some, some prankster has come in. And has rotated all of the signs, the ones that say, hey, don't go this way. And the ones that say one way this way, they're all flipped around. They've all been turned the opposite direction. Being salt and light is a, a little bit like that same feeling, isn't it? When we try to go the way of the kingdom, we we struggle to do it ourselves, but then also we're bumping against it feels like, you know, you keep going down that one ray road. You're going to bump into somebody. You're going to have to swerve off the side of the road. At the very least, people going past you are going to be pretty upset at you. They're not going to be excited about who you are and the direction you're headed. The kingdom of God is like that when we seek to be salt and light. And yet this passage challenges us because it says there's a way for that to happen in God's grace to where. People around look and they actually see that that direction's better. They actually see that it's beautiful and they praise our Father who's in heaven. So we think about uh, this reality. Uh, we recognize that we do live in a world that's default setting because it, it, it's our default setting still inborn. Now, we've been many of us here renewed in Christ. So we've got a new direction. But but we still recognize that default mode is to, to go the opposite direction of where we ought to head, not to seek the Lord and not to seek his ways. It's interesting. Our, our catechism question for this morning is the, the number three one. But we were trying to work through catechism question number two this last week. And, and that question was really a relatively simple answer. It was, you know, how do we have authority? What's the authority to direct us how we should live the Christian life is the essence of the question. And what was the answer? The Bible, basically. It was a little complica- more complicated in the wording, but the Bible. And, and it's a reminder for us today, okay, I, I want to do this salt and light thing. I understand Jesus is calling me to it. How then do I know that, that I'm not headed down the wrong way? Maybe I'm the one wrong about how all these signs are headed. 
the scriptures. That's the only way we can really know is to know and seek to live out God's word. At any event, it's not easy for us. And so one of the questions I think we ought to be asking today is, you know, where are those places where I'm really I really am trying to live out and be salt and light? Where are those places where, you know, two years ago I really wanted to try to have that impact? And, you know, to be honest, I just kind of got tired. It's, it's a rigorous going down one way streets a lot of the time. And I kind of have set it aside. Maybe for some here, this is a new sort of concept to you, a new reality to to walk with the Lord in that way, to be salt and light, that that there's a calling that God has for you. That's not just to save you or to work in your life individually, but for you to influence the world around you. That might be a new idea for you. And and so maybe today is a starting point to begin down that pathway. Let's talk uh, for a moment about these uh, these verses And I want to give just a little bit of background first, and I want you to look at just verses 13 and uh, 14, because it's interesting. They're both, what is that, seven words, and they really sort of reflect one another. And there's a lot in there, although there's sort of some of those verses, if we've been around Christian community at all, we've probably heard them, and they're in little kids' songs and so forth, so they sort of roll off our tongue. But let's slow down a minute and see all that's being said in just those two sentences. The first thing is that it says we are these things. You and I are salt. You and I are the light of the world. Isn't that interesting? The Lord doesn't say, I would like you to be, or you ought to be, or you should be, or I hope one day you will be. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, if, if you're in me, if you've come to realize your need for a Savior and grace and mercy, and you realize how beautiful it is that I love you so deeply to lay down, well, then you, you are something different now. You are salt. You are light. So that's a good thing for us to think about today. It's, in a sense, not really a choice. It is who we are. Second thing, apparently uh, this, you know, Scripture writer Matthew must have grown up, you know, south of the Mason-Dixon line there in Israel. Because the first word, it doesn't come out in the English translation, but it's the plural. You plural. Y'all is what this verse is saying. It's saying y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. Well, there's a lot we can take from that. Does this does these passages have ramifications for us individually? Absolutely. But we're also a highly individual society and we can easily forget that this is a collective thing. Jesus is saying, y'all, everybody who's numbered among the body of Christ, this is something we're doing together. Okay, so it's a collective thing. It's interesting. Then look at the next word in both again, both verse 13 and 14. It says you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Again, if you look back at the text in the original language, the way that's put down there, it's like a capital T.H.E. It's meant to emphasize because you don't have to put the little article in there sometimes, and the, the biblical writers do. You know, it's sort of implied from the verb itself. It says, you are the salt. You are the light. What's that tell us? The Lord's not, he doesn't have some other sort of plan B for, <laughs> for spreading salt and spreading light into the world. We're not a fallback scenario. This is, this is the route that the Lord is choosing to go, is through you and for me. We are the salt and the light of the world, again, collectively as a church. And then the last thing I want to say just by, again, sort of some background on, 
on just those two verses. Salt of the earth and light of the world. Well, that's powerful. Again, we already know it's talking about collective, about the whole church body, our whole church body here and across the world. But wow, what a powerful thing that that God says, I'm calling you to be this new substance and you're going to have influence everywhere, globally. Cross Creek Church right here. Now, you know, we're, we're involved with some of that through our missions and through prayer for missionaries and just lifting up things around the world. But scriptures are saying we're going to be salt of the earth, light of the world. OK, so those things are good introductions for us to to have and to begin meditating on. Let's talk about the salt part of this first. Again, maybe you've studied this verse upside and down and you know all this stuff. Um, I've studied it a few times, but honestly, I forget between the times that I study it. So good to be reminded. You know, what what are two things that salt uh, does? Think about that. What what does salt do? It, It at the very least, it flavors things. We know that that's a common use for it in our culture. It also preserves. And we probably don't think about it as that that much. Maybe I guess there's a third use, you know, snowmageddon. Snowmageddon reminded us that even down here in the south, uh, a bag of rock salt can be a high commodity when there's roads, roads frozen and so forth. That you can put some on the, the road. But uh, but the main two uses that we would think of would be uh, flavoring and preserving. Probably the best example. And again, an easy one for us to think about beef jerky. Right. So simple. You want to think about this verse, meditate on it. Beef jerky. Flavored with salt is preserved as well. There's probably some other preservatives in there. You know, I I don't know how many of you have had this scenario, uh, how long you've been in Birmingham. We've been here now 12 years. And I think at least twice there's been some major storms, hurricanes down at the coast that have uh, their results have been power being knocked out all the way up here into Birmingham. And I remember I don't remember which hurricane it was, but this is probably eight or nine years ago. And it and it, and it knocked out uh, parts of the city were out for like 10 days. Our our power was out for about four. And, you know, it's one of those things. You got your refrigerator. You know, that thing's just doing its job. You get you got some steaks in there. You've got some grilled chicken in the freezer. You, you've got some ground beef put away in there. And you, you don't really think too much about it. You go to the store, you throw stuff in there. Well, you know, take a little tally next time, if, especially if you've got some steaks or whatever in your freezer. You know, you probably got $150, $200 worth of stuff maybe in your freezer. And, and the power goes out, and all of a sudden you realize, man, i got nothing to save this stuff. It's, it's going. It's gone. Well, for the people in the biblical times, they'd have understood that as the same idea of salt being a preservative, something that helps keep something that's valuable to you. Their food supply, you keep it. They probably even understood it a little bit better because they don't have, you know, Costco to go pick big quantities of food up and replace their food right away if they lost it. Jesus's point here is this, that we as believers have really both a conservative and a progressive sort of role in in the world. We're, in a sense, to preserve things that are good. What's good that's there in our family, in our community, in our workplace, as we understand from the scriptures what is good, then we can kind of seek to retain that and keep that and defend that. So that's part of our role. But then there's also, I guess, what you'd call a progressive side of it, and that's the flavoring. We add something. We bring something uh, to the world, because not because of anything special about us, but because God is at work through us. What does it mean then that we 
can somehow lose our saltiness or what are just the pragmatics of this? Again, it's helpful to have a little bit of background. You know, Jesus did a lot of his preaching and teaching around the Dead Sea. Dead Sea is, uh, to my knowledge, the most salty body of water in the whole earth. It is incredibly salty. And, and it'll help us to understand when he talks about losing the saltiness that there's these uh, clumps that are alongside, I guess, even to today uh, by the Dead Sea that you would pick up. And it would look almost like a clump of rocks that are sort of connected together to one another. And, and that rocky thing would be salty because it's got rock and salt sort of mixed in together and they're all stuck together. And what Jesus is talking about here is that you could theoretically take that and sort of rinse out, remove all of the salt. And, and it would still look pretty similar to what someone would just pick up along the Dead Sea. But it would be lacking any of the salt, any of the flavor, any of the preservative. So this is the picture that Jesus has for us today in this idea of us being salt. And the question for us is, is uh, incredibly challenging, but really pretty straightforward. And that is, what kind of vision do we have? What kind of vision has the Lord given us in the different spheres that he calls us to? Our neighborhood, our family, our workplace, our hobbies and activities we're involved in. How is he calling us to preserve what's good and godly there? And how is he calling us to flavor it and add something to it that can only come from God's word and from knowing the scriptures? As I said earlier, none of us are going to be able to do that by our own power. But God, through his grace, can use us that way. Do you believe that today? Do you believe today that you are salt? And that you are the salt that God wants you to use in those places he's put you for preserving and for flavoring with the gospel. Second thing we see is that we are called to be light. This passage tells us that we're light. It, It assumes the fact that we understand the world around us is a pretty dark place. Now, we live in a place that's that's blessed in many ways, probably materially uh, blessed with some of the benefits of the kingdom influence and the work of the gospel. But but even in our own individual lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our community, in our country, boy, we see a lot of darkness, don't we? And the scriptures are reminding us of the beauty that it is to have light shine and the impact that even just a little bit of light can shine. I went to uh, we did a little semi, you know, fun, fun family activity yesterday. Uh, we were all going to try to go to a dollar movie together. But uh, but we got, you know, we got different opinions about which movies we wanted to see between the uh, four boys and, and mom and dad. So we ended up with, you know, two two boys with me in one theater and two boys with mom in the, the other theater. And I was in there and I got to tell you, I really am not too concerned about how to train the dragon. I'm just not that concerned about how to train the dragon. So I took a nap for about 25 minutes until my youngest one realized I was napping and woke me up. And then I was trying to, you know, take a look at my phone. Let's see something going on on my phone, plan the next week or check some text or some Facebook or something. And it it wasn't long before one of my boys corrected me. Hey, no, no cell phones on Dad. turn, turn the phone off. You're, You're blinding us with this huge light from your little phone there. And so I so I I shut the phone down, you know, 
the, the, the little bit of light in that dark theater spreads. It spreads quickly. Uh, so, too, for you and me, you know, one of the things that you and I will uh, will wrestle with as we think about being salt and light is uh, not just, hey, this is something we're supposed to do. But you say, OK, I want to do that. That's who I want to be. But I feel very feeble. I feel like I'm not going it's not going to matter. So, yeah, I, I really want to do that because I know that's what God's calling me to. And I want to look for ways that that can happen. But, you know, honestly, I don't know that it's going to make a big difference. So I'm not sure it's worth the effort. I'm not sure it's worth the engagement on my part. And I think one of the things Jesus is saying to us is, hey, it's the normal thing for light to do is to shine out and have influence. And and he, he ends the verses by really encouraging us with this truth where he says, hey, this stuff is going to happen in such a way in such a way that people around you are going to see your good deeds and praise your father who's in heaven. You think about that? I think about, you know, folks maybe looking at my life and I'm not sure they'd see all all, all that many good deeds. And there's probably like a more weight on things that are annoying for them about me that they'd be annoyed by rather than than seeing those. Maybe you feel the same way about yourself. And so this is this is kind of hard to believe, too, that that Jesus is somehow going to use me to shape other people around me in my life and that they're going to see through me. And it sounds almost a little a little bit prideful. In fact, when we look later in the Sermon on the Mount, it it almost says what sounds like the opposite in chapter six. It says, hey, don't pray and don't give and don't fast so that people will see. Don't do that because because you're going to be off track. So what's Jesus's point here? He's saying, and we'll look at those passages in a couple of weeks. He's saying, look, there's things you can do spiritually that you're doing to kind of build yourself up and feel like you're a great spiritual person and I'm doing the right spiritual things. And he said, there's other things that you can do, being salt and light, that feel really hard, feel really difficult. You're really humbled by. And yet God's going to use that. He's going to use that for his purposes. I like what uh, one commentator says. He says the goal is that people be impressed by the father who makes disciples rather than by the disciples who behave this way. That's the goal. But we said at the beginning that God graciously calls us, invites us to be part of, of building his kingdom. And so we ought to really fight for kind of retaining that saltiness that he's called us to. And, and then we ought to seek to shine that light that he's given to us. And I, I thought about the words, and we, I should have called up Derek. We could have sung it today. We still have time. We, you guys could work it up. The all-male squad today up here, which is, uh, which is, which is, which is interesting. <laughs> the uh, the all-male squad. It's always good to have a little female in there, but nobody was up this week, were they? Couldn't get, couldn't get the gals to, to do it. But um, you guys are doing great leading us. That would have been real interesting for all of you guys to sing the song that's in my mind when I read these verses, it's probably in y'all's mind as well. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. All around the neighborhood. I looked this up. I didn't know that was the second verse. All around the neighborhood. I'm going to let it shine. I didn't make that up. That's the second verse. Don't let Satan blow it out. Right? I'm already feeling like. What's it going to look like to be salt and light? 
Uh, Satan's kind of blown out that, that vision already. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you and praise you for uh, your word and the ways that it calls us to things that, uh, that are a huge privilege for us. And that also are a challenge for us. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us collectively as a church body and each of us individually to lay hold of your vision to uh, preserve and to flavor the world around us. Uh, We desire to be uh, channels, vessels of your working in that way. And uh, Lord, in places where we have sought to do that and you've worked through us, we have been greatly encouraged. So bring those Uh, situations to mind for our encouragement. And Lord, we uh, desire deeply to shine the light that you have placed in our life. We know there's we know our own hearts. We know there's nothing special about us, but you're working something in us and you want to use us. So we pray that uh, you would let us uh, shine that light in a way that others around us would actually be seeing you be drawn to you. And surrender their lives to you and walk with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.